love coffee, but more importantly, I love families. Coffee with Parents eagerly explores all the fascinating facets of families. This podcast seeks to shine a bright, colorful light on the kaleidoscope of parents and families that exist in this world. I aim to speak with single parents, queer parents, adoptive parents, parents of children with special needs, parents struggling with addiction and mental illness, a full spectrum of families around the world. We will dig deep, have big belly laughs, embrace ugly crying, and sip that sweet caffeinated cup. Listen and love, hear with your heart, and enjoy Coffee with Parents. Here is a content warning for the episode. This episode does address a traumatic birth experience, so if the mention of a traumatic birth activates your central nervous system in a way that makes you feel unsafe, be aware that it is mentioned and there are some details of trauma. Apart from that, the content of this episode feels relatively neutral. If you ever feel you needed a content warning that wasn't given after listening to an episode, you can always write into Coffee with Parents at cwppodcast at gmail.com. Hello. Hi. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm great. It's snowing. Aww. So I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You like the snow. I love the snow. And I don't have to go to work. So oh, yay. I'm very pleased. <laughs> that is pleasing. <laughs> So you, I guess, like living in a colder climate now opposed to California? Yes, very much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm starting off all of these episodes by asking people what they're sipping because this is coffee with parents and I initially thought everyone would just be having coffee together, but I'm actually... I just, all right, well, this is the first interview. I actually like kind of had a coffee, but I already finished it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you don't have to be sipping coffee or anything, but I'll still ask, what are you sipping today? Um, well, I already finished two cups of coffee. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right now I have um, water with a little bit of nettle tea. Like I had a, a big overnight nettle infusion that I drank Mm -hmm. most of and then I just put water on top of what I had left and it's really good nice that's a very herbalist answer yeah Um, (laughs) how is your state Pennsylvania affected by the COVID lockdowns is it affecting your Mm -hmm. jobs or your child care or anything um well I am an essential worker so um I work at a health food store so uh, we're, we haven't shut down at all. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, I chose to stop working just because we were worried. Um, so I didn't work for a few months. And my partner, he works at a, at a rec center and they shut down for a while. So um, we were all on lockdown for a while. Mm-hmm. And we had another lockdown since where he stopped working and I kept working. And our child care isn't affected because we work opposite shifts in order to not require child care. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and my older, oldest child, she is six and she's in first grade. And um, because we live in a more rural area, um, her elementary school has been able to stay open. So she's been learning in person this whole time, which has been really convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound Yeah. <clears throat> so how old are all your kids? Um, so I have two children. I have a daughter who is six and she's almost seven and her name's Fiona. And I have a toddler who is 18 months old and his name is Theodore. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> I awesome. know. We were pregnant at the same time. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so far, what is your favorite phase of development that they've reached? Um, they're so different. So that's kind of hard to answer. <laughs> like when Fiona was a baby, she was really difficult. So I always just, I just wanted her to get bigger so I can like meet her needs better and, um, you know, have a more like conscious relationship with her. Um, and she's so much fun. She's such a cool kid. My favorite part of her development was definitely so far was definitely when she was like four because she was just into like the cutest stuff, like all the unicorns and princesses. And she was just the sweetest. I don't know. Four years old was really cool with her. And with baby Theodore, uh, with him, maybe it's because I'm not planning to have more kids, but with him, I'm just like, oh, don't get any bigger. Don't grow up. I'm, the, I'm that mom with him. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. It's hard to pick a favorite time because I've just loved every second. He was such an easy baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's, and right now he's 18 months old and it's so much fun. He's the funniest little kid. <laughs> You know, toddlers are just, just hilarious. I know. (laughs) This is, I know this, this stage right now is amazing for me. Yeah. We're having a lot of fun with Yamaya too right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How do you think your relationship with your partner has changed if at all from one kid to now two? Um, uh, I mean, it's only ever getting better for us. It's definitely changed because obviously we don't get like any time alone. Yeah. Ever, <laughs> you know? um, so that's hard. I can't, I literally cannot remember the last time we went on a date or anything like that. Um, but I don't know. We just have a really beautiful relationship and we've, it's just so cooperative and like equal and especially with like spending time with kid, the kids. Um, yeah. So it's only ever really getting better and stronger. And it also sucks that we don't ever get time alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we're always like, Oh man, one day they're going to be, you know, like teenagers and they're just not going to want anything to do with us and we can do whatever we want. So Yeah. <laughs> true yeah how did your relationship with your oldest child Fiona change after having your second well that was a lot more dramatic um Mm. I could when I was pregnant I could like feel you know the impending the impending change and um my last like 
couple months of pregnancy, I just spent as much time with her as I could, you know, just really connecting. And I just felt like this, like so attached to her in this way that I never felt before, you know, just like soaking up every moment that she was still my little baby. Um, and literally as soon as her brother was born, like overnight, it totally changed. Like she was, she was this humongous giant, you know, it almost like this sounds drastic, but she almost like felt foreign to me because my, my body was just so like hyper-focused and calibrated towards taking care of a newborn. And she was just this huge person. Um, but it was, that was one of the hardest parts of postpartum for me. Um, I felt a lot of grief over that change and she felt it too, obviously. Um, she acted out a lot when her brother was really little, um, never at him though. She was always really sweet with him, loved him so much, um, never blamed him, but you could tell that she was pissed at us, you know, that, she, that we couldn't give her as much attention. Um, my mom was here for the first month of, of Theodore's life. And that was really helpful because she got to spend a lot of time with Fiona. I don't know what I would have done if she wasn't there. And mm. then over the, the course of the last, you know, 18 months, we've just kind of had to reinvent our relationship and like build it back up and like stabilize everything. But the beginning was definitely you know, a struggle, especially, mm. you know, I was experiencing a lot of postpartum anxiety and like mm -hmm. paranoia, um, you know, like kind of separately from that, but it was, I felt a lot towards her during that time, you know, mm. a lot of like, yeah, a lot of grief mm. over, over the change. Yeah. Yeah. Do you follow any specific child rearing philosophies? Hmm. No, <laughs> no, not really. Um, I mean, not, I can't really, I mean, I've looked into so many, you know, and I feel like I've picked mm -hmm. up bits and pieces. Um, I thought I was going to be like 100%, like gentle parenting, like Montessori, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, no. <laughs> um, my partner was born and raised Pennsylvania Dutch, which mm -hmm. is very like, you know, they utilize a lot of like discipline and <laughs> mm -hmm. not like scary discipline, but just like, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. just, <laughs> and um, yeah, the strong whole, boundaries. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not just boundaries, but like, I don't know how to explain it without, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to explain it succinctly, but, um, so we've had to use some of those techniques only because Fiona is like super defiant and, um, that's just her personality. Like she came out like that. She came out, um, like a total alpha is what we call it. And I know there's like so much nuance in that whole, in that <laughs> whole um, conversation, but like, I'm not a dominant like person. I don't feel the need to dominate um, mm -hmm. most of the time when I am uh, relating to people, but she definitely does. Uh, so she's a lot more like Eric 
in that regard. And like, sometimes I just like, don't know how to, <clears throat> how to direct her energy or deal with her and deal with her defiance. You know, she takes full advantage of that. So no, like a lot of the things that I thought I would implement in terms of child rearing and um, discipline or no discipline and talking it out and a lot yeah. of that stuff has kind of just not worked with her. So it's as much <laughs> as possible though, I try to connect with her, you know, on her yeah. level. Her and I have really different love languages and really different <laughs> like needs. Yeah. Um, like we clash uh, in a lot of ways. So since I'm the adult, a lot of times I have to like remember that I'm the adult and give her <laughs> yeah. what she needs. Yeah. Um, and fill her like fill her like power bucket and fill her like emotional bucket and her connection bucket and then she that makes things a lot easier for everybody yeah yeah how do you think your parents would describe your parenting style um I would have to ask them. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure how to answer that <laughs> other than, okay. yeah, other than like, you know, in retrospect, as an adult, I feel like I could have benefited from a little bit more structure and discipline as a child myself, <laughs> you know, um, and also, I think that I could have benefited more from like a more united front mm. of my two parents in mm. terms of their parenting styles, Yeah, um, which is something that Eric and I, um, my, Eric's my partner, which mm -hmm. is something that Eric and I really try to uh, utilize as a united mm -hmm. front, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So do you feel like there's, I mean, besides, you know, trying to come off as more united as opposed to how you felt like your parents raised you, how else do you think your parenting differs at all from your parents' parenting? Um, hmm. I mean, that's a big question for me because my family is, um, we're immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, my, my family, my parents and I came, came here from Russia. So um, there's just, it's just different in all these, like a million weird little ways. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, it'd be hard to um, explain that. Yeah. So I feel like since I was, you know, raised in America, uh, my parenting style reflects that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, my mom is very, my mom, okay. So my mom, she, she was actually, she's a, um, a early childhood speech therapist in Russia. So she spent mm -hmm. a lot of time with little kids. You know, that's what she went to school for. She read all the books about child development and um, parenting and teaching like so she is like this 
you know, expert of 1980s Soviet Union child rearing philosophies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's a lot of, um, she has a lot of expertise that unfortunately to her, a lot of times I don't find like relevant or useful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You moved from Russia when you were nine, right? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought nine. Maybe that's just like when I met you and I was like, oh, this girl just got here. (laughs) Well, um, I moved, we first moved here uh, from Russia when I was four, but we went back and Mm -hmm. forth a lot. So when we met, I just got done spending like nine months in Russia and I went to school there and stuff. So that's close. Yeah. What do you feel that cultural adjustment was like for you as a kid? Um, as a kid, I just, I didn't care. I liked adventure. It was, it was fine, I think. Um, however, in retrospect, as an adult looking back, I think the whole entire, like leaving your birthplace um, thing was super traumatic in ways that it didn't, I didn't really recognize as a little kid, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that adjustment was harder for you and your sister or harder for your parents? Um, well, my sister was born in America, so she didn't have much of an adjustment, but um, I think it was, it was hard for me and my parents in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, because they, you know, that as adults moved to a totally new place and had to you know, sort of like start from scratch, um, establishing like an identity and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, that's a lot, you know, learning a language. Yeah. Um, for me, it was more like uh, at a very tender neurological age, I had to sort of like totally shift my whole reality, just totally changed. Um, which felt super fun in the moment, but I think made a big like neurological impression on me mm-hmm. that affects me as an adult in, in ways that I notice sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the book, The Body Keeps the Score? Not yet, but I've been wanting to. Dude. Okay. I'm reading it right <laughs> now. And like, yeah, your body kept the score. <laughs> yeah, it, de- it definitely did. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think you enjoyed being a kid? Yes. I yeah. loved being a kid. I had so much fun by myself, just like in my own like magical world all the time. <laughs> yeah, I had an imaginary friend. Um like a hardcore imaginary friend. I climbed trees. Um, I drew a lot of pictures. Yeah, being a kid was awesome. (laughs) Good. Are there any parts of childhood that you miss or parts that you wish could have been left out? Um, I definitely miss my grandparents. We, so in Russia, we lived, my mom and dad lived with my dad's parents. Um, So every time we went back, we would also stay with them. And 
I feel like my childhood, like when I think of my childhood, it's sort of like crystallized in that uh, apartment with my grandma and grandpa, you know? And then my grandpa died when I was nine, which was really hard on me. And then um, my grandma died only like, I think like six years ago. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so when I think of my childhood, they're just the first thing that comes up for me and I definitely miss them. And the thing that I, not that I wish would was left out, but cause I don't regret obviously coming to America and having this mm-hmm. life and being here, but um, I definitely wonder what it would have been like to grow up in Russia with my family there. Mm-hmm. Cause I have so many like aunties and, you know, like cousins and, uncles and grandparents my mom's parents are still alive and they live over there like um so that's definitely something I struggle with you know feeling like I was separated from that Mm -hmm. how did you learn about sex gender and relationships growing up um okay (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So my mom got pregnant with my little sister when I was eight. Um, And she, I guess, didn't want to tell me about sex. (laughs) Like it was just too weird for her to tell me where babies come from. So knowing that I was a curious little freak, she would take me to the (laughs) library every single day or, you know, a lot. It felt like a lot. And I would hide from her. Like I didn't know she was watching me. I didn't know she knew that I was doing this. I would go, I would go to like the biology section and just, and just like obsessively read and look at the pictures (laughs) of all the books explaining sex like the physiological, you know, like what happens and where babies come from. So that's how I learned about where babies come from. Um, That sounds very like you, (laughs) very much like you. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, I didn't realize that your sister was that much younger than you. I don't know why, but I thought she was only like four years younger than you or something like that. Yeah. She's we're yeah, we're eight years apart. Hmm. Okay yeah so and then I didn't tell her that I knew or anything it was like my big secret that I knew what sex was <laughs> <laughs> yep. um and as for you know like discovering it on my own I don't I don't really have a moment where I can pinpoint where I figured out where any of that was yeah Is there a certain way that you have approached or plan to approach topics surrounding sex, gender, and relationships with Mm -hmm. your kids? Um, I definitely want to be super transparent about all of that with them, you know, in age-appropriate ways. Yeah. So, um, I like, the first thing I want to instill is respect and compassion, like, And from that, like grounded in that, I want them to, you know, I want to introduce like, because I never, I I feel like only in just the last few years, I'm, I'm really understanding, um, you know, gender and the spectrum of gender and the spectrum of sexuality and like all of these things that I had no access to any of that as a kid, obviously, as a 
as a teenager, as a young adult, I feel like only recently I've started to, um, you know, kind of dive into that and, and um, learn about that. So I want my children to have an understanding of that uh, as early as, you know, age is age appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. um, I, with Fiona, I mean, it's kind of like nonchalant. I just kind of like, yeah, people, some people are boys and some people are girls and some people aren't boys or girls and you know just kind of she's sick so like mm -hmm. because um I've noticed with her and I think with just all little kids with human beings human beings are just very comfortable in in the binary in duality either this or that mm -hmm. um, and I want her to be comfortable not needing that Mm -hmm. in general so yeah yeah yes I think living in the gray area can be a real gift yeah yeah and I and I want her to well both my kids but she's so much closer to the age where this is relevant um I want her to you know be um like a an, an alley to people who like I want her to be able to stand up stand up for people um, who might be getting bullied or talked about um, if there's other children around her who are, you know, uh, discovering their own gender identities or sexualities, or I want her to be like, to know what, to know what she's talking about and to mm -hmm. be able to stand up for those those people and if either of my children ever you know question their own gender identity or expression or sexuality I obviously want want them to have like the vocabulary and the support to to be able to um, explore that too yes yes I think definitely ha yeah I'm glad you said having the vocabulary because I think that's definitely something that is I think really hard for when kids are discovering their own identities when like they don't have the words to express. I'm not feeling like any of these things that you guys are talking about, <laughs> you know? And I think, yeah, giving them that language can help them discover their own selves or help them advocate for people who don't have that language or... Mm -hmm or who do have that language, but need more support. Yeah. And also yeah. like exposing them to um, like super cool role models who mm -hmm. are not in the gender binary yeah. um, is definitely something I want to do, you know, whether it's um, children or uh, adults. Um, I think that's super important because they'll be able to see with certainty, like with their own eyeballs that, human expression is like so vast and mm -hmm. <laughs> um, not yeah. what we've been like boxed in to believe. Mm -hmm. How did you learn about what happens during the birth process? Was that more of your own self-study in the library? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I learned about birth much younger than I learned about sex. Cause I, mm. I remember being like four years old and obsessively 
like a little freak drawing <laughs> pictures of babies coming out of vaginas. Um, <laughs> like as soon as I learned about this, I started illustrating it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was really into that. And then um, it kind of wasn't on my radar for a long time. And then when I was, I think like 21 or 22, um, I had a friend stay with me who was pregnant and she stayed with me like she just crashed in my apartment for like the last couple of months of her pregnancy and we got really close and um and then when since she asked me to be at her birth and I was like oh my god yes and I was reading like all the birthing books and I and I was like wow this is so cool like this is not what they show on tv you know mm -hmm. had that whole aha moment and I was um, when she went into labor I went to her birth and it was like the most transformative experience um, yes. <laughs> like I've ever had witnessing mm -hmm. her in that space giving birth watching a baby get, I mean it was like you know it was I do know <laughs> I have no words it was yeah. like the most epic <laughs> spiritual experience of like my life um other than other things I've talking worked. about <laughs> having or not having the vocabulary it there is no yeah. vocabulary to express <laughs> maybe there is yeah. in Russian I don't know but there is no English no. vocabulary <laughs> to express that experience of just like either giving birth or being in the room when somebody's giving birth or just the whole like all-around experience of even like pregnancy and conception and all of that like there's no real language to describe the spiritual aspect of all of that it's, it's like it's partially maybe partially why it's steeped in mystery and not talked about because people don't know how to say it like they're just like yeah. I don't know you just got to do it man <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah I mean um the one of the books I was reading was uh spiritual midwifery and I literally like she went into labor and she was like you know it was she, she was an early labor and I like literally I took that book and I like I don't know how I did this I like downloaded it <laughs> like I read the whole thing within like a couple hours somehow mm -hmm. so that really helped um because I kind of knew I kind of knew to to tap into it in this like transcendental way mm -hmm. and um like I wasn't just there, like she wanted me to be her doula and I, you know, no experience in, in, in birth, none um, at that point. So, but she wanted me there because like, I loved her so much and, you know, I was there for her and she just wanted me. So, and I, I did it. Like I, I pulled myself into that space and like, I, I held, I held her, I held space for her and um, her, baby daddy was there and he was like really weird and like kind of freaked out by the whole thing and I was just kind of like all right you go over there I'll take care I'll do that I'll be baby daddy right now because you're not um you're not showing up and yeah. I was like so ready and it was yeah it was just amazing so that was my introduction to the birth world and I was after that I was just like obsessed with it I was like I want to be a doula this is amazing yeah and um, you'd had never... no like training or anything as a doula at that time I'm none, assuming no none. no I mean I never like that was it that was that was mm -hmm. that was your that training. Was kind of my, yeah yeah um I'm not a yeah. doula though I'm not a trained doula at all I did I have attended two other births for close friends since then 
Um, but I don't consider myself a doula. I don't advertise that service or anything. I just love birth and I love being in that space. So more about the vocabulary. I, I personally grapple with the word doula because of what you just yeah. said, because you feel like you can't call yourself that, no. but I think you can, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't want to get too tangenty and weird here, but like, yeah, I have so many big feelings about training doulas and mm-hmm. or lack thereof or you know whatever because it's like you don't need a training but then you do because it's like <laughs> it's like you don't need a training because it's such an intuitive thing but then it's like you also do because people are working within non-intuitive systems and so you mm-hmm. have to like you know it, sometimes you know and so you have to kind of I don't know, find, I don't know where the middle ground is there between like, like ownership over this work and Mm -hmm. like getting paid for it or not getting paid for it and having either one be more legitimate or less legitimate or I don't know. I just get so barfy about that but anyway um (laughs) is there a certain way that you've approached or plan to approach the topic of birth with your kids um I mean that's easy they can just they can just have total access to that entire (laughs) to that entire spectrum of experiences Mm -hmm. um Fiona was at her brother's birth uh so that was pretty cool. <laughs> that is so cool. How yeah. was she like, was she kind of just observing or did she want to be involved or like, how was she? Um, well, she was, she was kind of just observing. Honestly, she was on her iPad a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but his, the birth was, it wasn't like what I was envisioning. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert yeah (laughs) birth doesn't always go as planned yeah I mean maybe we can talk about that experience a little bit more later too but um it was it went really fast Theodore's birth was really intense and fast it was I went from five centimeters to ten in one hour oh my lord it was so painful it was so intense um like I, we got to the and I, I gave birth at a it was at a hospital but at like it was midwives there it was kind of like a birth center in a hospital mm-hmm. I did that with both my kids so I was in a medical facility but it was very um very hands-off for the most part unless I needed help which I needed help <laughs> um but Fiona was like when I was in the tub she was kind of you know with me a lot and observing and but um uh so the whole birth was super intense painful but it worked the baby came out it was everything that happened afterwards that was super traumatic because two things happened Theodore was born with um with pneumonia not because of like meconium or anything like that it was some sort of pathogen that was 
in my uterus. Like it was in my womb and somehow crossed the placenta um, and it was in his lungs. And hmm. um, yeah, so he had, he was having a hard time breathing at first. We're like, oh, you know, this is normal. No, it was, he got worse and worse as like the hour went on, you know? So, um, and then also I started bleeding and uh, hemorrhaged really badly. Partially, I think, because, you know, he was on and off of me because they were trying to get him breathing better. Um, but the, the couple hours after I gave birth to him were like total chaos. It was crazy. And um, I, because during Fiona's birth, I was, I also hemorrhaged, but like a little bit, just a, not, not as much, but um, they automatically gave me Pitocin after she was born. And like, I found out about it later and I was like, I don't like, why? I don't, that's, I was so weirded out by the fact that they autumn, like without, they didn't tell me they were going to do it or they just did it. Um, and it's not like the hugest deal compared to some things, but I was like, I don't want a synthetic hormone messing with my oxytocin, you know, mm -hmm. and that was, so for Theodore's birth and my birth plan, I specifically requested that they don't give me Pitocin afterwards. I was like, I oh, will just do the skin to skin. I'll take my herbs beforehand to um, control the bleeding. Mm -hmm. Didn't get to take my herbs because the labor went too fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, because of everything that was going on with him, like I lost almost a liter of blood, I guess. Um, so Fiona got to witness them, the, the midwife with her glove, like up to her elbow, like digging in my uterus. Um, and me screaming bloody murder while there's like doctors in the room, like trying to make sure my baby's okay, like over there mm -hmm. somewhere else, you know, so it was just, and she saw all that. Um, and that's her impression of birth. And so I think that there's a lot I'm going to have to work with, with her because she saw something that was, you know, not ideal and traumatic and, um, you know, basically she saw her little brother and her mom, like almost potentially die, you know, like that's, so I feel like, especially when she's older, if she chooses to have children, um, and she might have fears around birth and that we're going to have to work through all of that together, but she's seen a ton of like birth videos that were really beautiful and peaceful. And, um, like we watch those all the time. She loves them. She loves birth. She loves babies. Um, she tells me she can't wait to have kids too. So, um, oh, I can picture yeah. you as a grandma. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh can't wait. Gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. If you could sum up that birth experience in three words, what would they be? give you a free shout out with zero financial or other commitment. Please email us at cwppodcasts at gmail.com. If you own a business and would like to purchase an ad spot during the show, please email us at cwppodcasts at gmail.com.
it would be an honor to give you a shout out. Thank you for your support of Coffee with Parents. If you could sum up that birth experience in three words, Um, definitely intense intense um I'm trying to find a like a positive word but like I honestly can't (laughs) it doesn't have to be all positive (laughs) I know but any positive (laughs) okay like when I think when I think about it it's it's intense painful and traumatic um and even though like the actual you know if none of that stuff afterwards had happened if we got our golden hour and if everything you know if everything was normal after he came out I wouldn't have all of that um Mm -hmm. you know to say about it because we would have had that healing moment immediately afterwards and we didn't Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, yep. Yeah. You've mentioned that you've felt some pressure to have this romanticized ideal of home birth, but you had an intuition about your birthing space being in the hospital both times. Can you explain a little bit about working through that? Yeah. So when I was, um, pregnant with Fiona, I was reading, you know, all of the beautiful birthing books and I was still kind of riding that high from watching my friend give birth. And Mm -hmm. in my, in my eyes, birth can be this like sexy, wild, like calm, beautiful thing. And it definitely can. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that people are experiencing that so much. But I was like, that's definitely going to be me. You know, um, I'm going to do all the work. Um, So I felt this like, and also on top of that, when I was pregnant with Fiona, I was experiencing pregnancy related depression. Like we all know about postpartum depression, but like it can happen during pregnancy too. And I had it really bad with her and I had no like support with that. So I was like in this place of being really like hard on myself and judging myself really harshly about everything and um newly uh kind of stepping into this community of you know like kind of new agey sort of people all around me and um feeling pressure to like build my spiritual resume at the time Mm. (laughs) and I use that that term kind of with attitude definitely because yeah. but I, I believed in that you know and um so anyway I was like oh man I need to give birth with like dolphins it's I'm gonna have an orgasm when I give birth like I, I was I, really I, hoping for that I, yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping for that yeah, spoiler alert right. that didn't happen for me nope, nope. <laughs> yeah so I gave I and I went and started going to the chiropractor um I thought about home birth but I was kind of 
on the fence. I thought about free birth and I was kind of just like, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't because of anyone's pressure. I was just like, I don't know if I like, I, I'm just not sure. So I went to the birth center where my friend gave birth and something was just like, no, I was like, whoa. Um, actually, if we rewind a few years to when I saw my friend give birth, that, my, that first experience that I had with birth, the moment her baby came out, I was like, my baby's not coming out of the water. I was like, oh, that's a weird thought to have. Like, I don't, you know, but um, I, it's, it was true. Like my, my baby didn't want to be born in the water. And I kind of just knew that. Um, so I went to that birth center, that same birth center and something just said, nope. Um, I couldn't afford a midwife. So I, home birth was out of the question for me, actually, um, as much as I was like dreaming about that, there was just absolutely no way we could have afforded that. I went to another birth center. I really liked it, but I couldn't afford it. Um, so then I went to a birth center in a hospital in San Diego. <clears throat> Something was like, okay, yeah, this is cool. This will work. And just like felt really right for some reason, even though I was imagining this orgasmic dolphin birth, um, it just felt like I wanted to be in this birth center in the hospital. Um, and it's so funny because with both of my children, I was at a birth center at a hospital where every, uh, every visit, every time I would go for an appointment, I'd have a different midwife. It's not like I had one midwife the whole time. It was a different midwife every time. So I could, you know, meet all of them. And the one that I liked the least, both times, that was my midwife for the birth. And it was the perfect person to be at my birth. <laughs> I've heard that several times from people, actually, yeah. that like the person that they didn't want to be there or the person that during the labor had the most like kind of off-putting <laughs> mm -hmm. methods or whatever ended up being the person that... <sighs> just was supposed to be there and that they just yep. ended up being grateful for that yeah yeah it it sounds like Stockholm syndrome or something like weird but no <laughs> it's it's not like it was yeah yeah um so anyway with Fiona the reason why I was grateful that I was at a hospital is because I experienced butt labor and we all have not we all I, I don't know if everyone has heard of this but there's back labor people know about back labor when the baby's turned kind of funny and um, you feel all the contractions in your lower back and it's like extremely painful I had butt labor so every contraction felt like there was a hot knife being shoved up my butt um it was it hurt so bad and one of the things that happened as a result was um I couldn't like move the energy down because you know when like something happens to your butt you like kind of clench and try to go up mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was um I wasn't moving the energy in the baby and like opening up um very efficiently I also had a cervical lip that needed to be moved at the end and it was just um a really painful intense labor because of the, the just the types of contractions I was experiencing and I could feel the contractions like in the front like in my uterus and in my um you know the pressure on my cervix too and those didn't like those didn't hurt at all compared to my butthole so <laughs> well I think yeah it's not something that 
people mention that often, but there's a lot of pressure on your anus when you are in labor, especially during the pushing phase, which is why, you know, if somebody during labor says they feel like they need to poop and, you know, it's been kind of a while and you're kind of like, I think you might be actually ready to give birth instead (laughs) or both. Um, But, but yeah, it's, you know, people sometimes talk about that particular part of like, you know, oh, if you feel like you need to poop, it's probably because you need to push. Um, But it can, there can be a lot of pressure in that area the whole time. And Mm -hmm. it can, it's, it's not something that is you can very easily prepare for even with like perennial massage and stuff because it's like you're not used to it's just a very strange place to feel pressure mm-hmm. from that particular angle because in no other scenario in life is anything pushing on in that angle <laughs> on <laughs> on uranus like because yeah. it's like even if you've had fingers or sex toys or something in your butt it is not the same feeling at all (laughs) it is literally the opposite feeling of (laughs) like it's like the opposite angle of pressure so bizarre yeah Yeah. well though for about a month before I had Fiona um it hurt to poop like I could feel like a um like a pinching stabbing sensation um, and I was just like, oh, this is normal. This, not, this has to be normal, you know? And um, it was not normal. And it was the whole, the reason that this happened was because of how my like cervix is pointing more towards my back. I forget mm-hmm. what that's called. My, um, my uh, gynecologist told me last time I had a pap smear, but she was like, oh, your cervix, do you know? It's anterior. Maybe. Yeah. That that makes sense. Um, so that, and because, so Fiona like made this little pocket inside of her placenta, not inside, but like the actual like sac, um, she like made a little pocket and she was sort of like using it as a blanket and like, she was kind of trapped in there. So (laughs) I don't know how to explain it, but she wasn't able to move or like shift her position to the point where like when she came out she was a little bit curved like c-shaped to the side you know Mm -hmm. so she was just in like this awkward position where Mm -hmm. just the way she she was was pushing on my like my right it wasn't my my anus it was like up inside like in my rectum um so um again usually so I've talked to a couple other people who've experienced butt labor and um they said it would have to do with the positioning and I was like just praying this wouldn't happen again with Theodore and it didn't so I didn't have butt labor a second time um I just like to talk about the butt labor because (laughs) 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 because after this after Fiona was born I was like oh my god you know like was that was that normal did I do something wrong you know after my whole romanticized orgasmic birth um, fantasy I experienced like this super weird almost like just I was embarrassed I was like why did my body make it so hard like why did this happen did I you know like could I I don't know I was just I was just really hurt by it on this level that I didn't really understand anyway I went on google and I was like butt labor nothing um, it took me a while but I found some like random forum where a couple women were like I had butt labor 
and this is how it went. And it was, I've only found like mm-hmm. two weeks, two or three experiences um, back then to sort of validate what I, what I went through, <laughs> um, which helped because I was just really hard on myself over not having my, my fantasy birth. Um, <laughs> since then I found more examples of butt labor, but I just like to talk about it so that if anyone experiences it, they'll know that they're not alone. And it probably has to do with the baby's position. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes me a little bit like sad, mad that like, there's pressure to have any particular birth experience. Um, you know, I think like toxic positivity and toxic Mm -hmm. spirituality can really put pressure on having that romanticized type of home birth or, um, like water birth, um, sort of scenario and then you know the industrialized complex of systems and hospitals and things that we have in this country can often put a lot of pressure to have a medicalized birth Mm -hmm. and um they're equally not okay. (laughs) Like just putting pressure on any particular birth experience is not okay because each birth experience is valid. And, um, if, and putting pressure on having like a home birth or something romantic like that, it feels like an overcompensation and it's, or like, yeah, like an answer to, all of this pressure to have a hospital birth in traditional society. And it's really um, just as harmful mm-hmm. as any other kind of birth pressure. So I hope we can pull away from that. I think we're fine. I think in the birth world, we're kind of finding some equilibrium there where mm-hmm. we're not shaming any type of birth experience anymore, I hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and those who still are doing that do tend to get some backlash, but Thank goodness, yeah, but it's not yeah. enough. I mean, I, we definitely are still trying to find that equilibrium, but I think it's kind of being established. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I, um, the, the, with my first birth after feeling the intuitive need to be in a hospital. And I did end up asking for pain medication during my butt labor. I was, you know, after swearing, I would, I would have a totally unmedicated birth. You know, I was like drugs, please. And the, when I got that pain medication during labor, I was able to relax enough for my cervix to finish dilating instead of feeling this like huge pressure um, and like pushing uncontrollably and all of this stuff that was happening that if if it kept going, it would have resulted in a possible C-section. Pain medication helped me relax so I could finish dilating. I'm so grateful that I was in that hospital. Uh Um, Anyway, and, and I was amazed at my own intuition guiding me to be there. 
And same with Theodore. Um, I felt confident about the birth, but I, for the, like the whole, for a couple of weeks before he was born, I had a feeling that something might be wrong and I wanted him to come out. I just wanted him out. I want, and not because I was uncomfortable because like, I just had a feeling. I even went to the OB GYN and I, I, I had them run like tests and like listen to his heart and do that. Uh, the, they had me on their little monitor for a while, just like making sure everything was okay. And cause I was kind of freaked out. And um, so once again, I was exactly where I, where I needed to be. I had a feeling something was wrong. And even though they didn't find anything wrong, like I was right, um, mm-hmm. you know, being there saved our, if, if I tried to have them in my own bathtub, I would have succeeded. It would have been totally fine. But then who knows what have happened to either one of us, mm-hmm. you know, because his pneumonia was, was so, I mean, he ended up in the NICU on a, on a CPAP, on a ventilator. Um, he was there for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, the first x-ray they took of his lungs was like, he, they were completely um, filled with fluid. Um, so if I had gone against my intuition in pursuit of um, a fantasy birth or in pursuit of like what someone else said that birth should be like and anything else is wrong, I could have been putting myself and my baby at risk. Um, so, so I'm a big believer in, you know, empowering parents to use their intuitions and to trust their intuitions when it comes to choosing how to birth because, and I know several people who just knew in their hearts and intuitively just a hundred percent that they could have a free birth or a home birth and they did. And it was awesome. And I love that, you know, and I also know people who had a feeling that they needed to not do that and they were right. And um, if I, you know, if, pe- if people go against their intuition, that's trying to keep them and their baby safe, like that could be, that could be risky, you know? Um, and okay. So that whole, a few years ago that um, I was, you know, following the I won't name any names, but like the community of people who encourage free birth. (laughs) And, um, you know, I read something along the lines of like, when you, when you choose, um, you know, hospital birth or even like a midwife assisted birth, you're like basically choosing to get raped. You're like wanting that, like anything that any intervention is rape it was basically what they said. And I was like, Uh no, (laughs) no. Like I, when Fiona, when I was in labor with Fiona, I wanted cervical checks. They felt good. First of all, like it physically felt good for some reason, like the counter pressure and they helped me feel better about the work I was doing. Um, and being gaslit to, think that like I chose to get violated like that is so harmful incredibly Um, harmful and it's it's really it's about the context of consent if 
you don't want a cervical exam and someone does it anyway and doesn't ask or you didn't know that that was going to happen or you didn't have enough information to um, tell them that that was okay, then yes, that's a violation. But if you are informed about what's going to happen, they ask you about it, you give them your consent, they do it. And the impact of that is that you don't feel violated. Mm-hmm. Then that's not a violation. Exactly. And it's just the it's the context of consent, and it's extremely nuanced. And you really cannot just put a blanket statement over it like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they were doing. They were like anything that's not total undisturbed birth is harmful, and it's just. Yeah, I think that is so, that is so that is so harmful to say that. Um, mm-hmm. And if I had heard that before I had my first child, and I was just really vulnerable to what other people thought and um, mm-hmm. what I thought I was supposed to be doing, um, that would have been that could have been a catalyst for I don't know, it, it just just a lot more triggering, you know. Mm-hmm. um hearing the hearing it now I'm like no you know but mm-hmm. um if I was when I was younger and more vulnerable hearing something like that could have been very damaging either to like my self-esteem or like my own sense of sanity and like boundaries and consent you know mm-hmm. so um I don't agree with that philosophy at all I think that we're amazingly intuitive and um, can find the perfect place, you know, because, okay, so here's another example. So my birth was relatively hands-off with Theodore. Um, At one point I tried to, um, when I, when it was time for me to push, I want it to be on my hands and knees because that's what everybody says is the best, right? Mm-hmm. Because duh, gravity, you know, like anything else is, oh yeah, when the women's lit or the birthing person is laying down, like that's, um, it goes against gravity and it's so much harder. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hear so much of that in the birth world. That's like most of, mostly that, that's what I was exposed to. I was like, you know, this mm-hmm. time, this time I'm going to be on my hands and knees. Um, well, I pushed and pushed on my hands and knees and the midwife was finally like, okay, I know you wanted to do this, but you need to turn around. If you want this baby to come out, you need to turn around. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And yeah. So both my babies I had on my back, well, like, you know, propped up a little bit, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's how they wanted to come out. That was the easiest way for them. And yeah. And then I, I just, I've just learned so much about um, these kinds of expectations we have with like our, our birth plans and <laughs> yeah, um, all the assumptions that we've made about what's good and bad when it comes to birth, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so after I, so my birth was other than that, um, that correction by the midwife was relatively undisturbed. And then everything that happened afterwards was, um, 
very traumatic and like intense and painful because, you know, I was hemorrhaging. I had to get like my whole uterus like scraped out by my midwife while not holding my baby peacefully and, you know, learning how to breastfeed. So it was painful, like psychologically and physically. And um, I had to be given like all these drugs and all like at one point I had to get a suppository, like it was terrible. But before every single thing that was done to me, my midwife was like, I know you said this on your birth plan. This is what's happening. This is what we have to do. And I would say, okay. And obviously I felt super violated when my midwife was elbow deep inside my vagina. Like, yeah, I, that's not, that didn't feel good. I didn't want that. um, my body didn't like that my body didn't really consent to that but that's what needed to be done for me to live (laughs) you know and um so that's almost like a different kind of that's something that's something kind of different to have to work through Mm -hmm. um because like I said it was okay but it wasn't okay but it was because Mm -hmm. it saved my life yeah it's (laughs) you know it's such a tricky thing I know well and it's all happening in like seconds in this mm-hmm. like very um charged moments mm-hmm. um emotionally charged moments and physically charged just <laughs> everything is just like so intense I know we've said that so many times and yeah. I'm going back to like there's not enough vocabulary to <laughs> to um explain these types of situations but it yeah it's it's a yes and situation you know of just like yes I felt very violated and that's what needed to happen to like save my life and Mm -hmm. I hate that but I'm also glad that that happened and like and Mm -hmm. and 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 just you know it's it's yeah it can be a very like layered thing and yeah but um I love yeah. that every single thing that happened, my midwife told me what she was doing. Um, yeah, I think that's you know, super, super important to get the context of mm-hmm. consent, like we were talking about, of just mm-hmm. like, and, you know, and it, it's hard because kind of like I was saying before, it's like, even if they ask you and you say yes, the context of that yes is important mm-hmm. too, you know, Um so it's again a kind of a nuanced thing, but just the asking and just the letting you know is mm-hmm. makes a world of difference. And like her saying to me, what was actually on my birth plan, you know? Yes. Shows that she read it. Yeah. She knows mm-hmm. what I wanted. And she has that in mind as she is doing the other thing, you know? Like, yes. Definitely. That, felt, that felt so um, validating and that made it so much mm. easier to to be in that moment yes yeah. all right if you could write a book about childbirth what would it be called <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I feel like it would have to be something funny you know just <laughs> yeah so just off the top of my head I feel like this book would be called no dolphins (laughs) oh that's a brilliant one I like that one (laughs) 
No doubt. <laughs> if you could write a book about parenting, what would it be called? Um, this is fine. <laughs> it would have to have the meme on there though too of the, yeah like for sure <laughs> fire burning and the dog smiling just this mm-hmm. is fine <laughs> yeah. yep. definitely <laughs> all right my last question is do you have any words of wisdom encouragement or support for other parents out there um not to put you on the spot <laughs> gosh I can't think of anything that hasn't been said a lot already (laughs) in general. I mean, you can repeat something. (laughs) Well, just to like, not be so hard on yourself, Uh you know, like not be so hard on yourself. Um, Also something that's really helped me that, um, sounds really crappy but is actually like brilliant I think is to sort of lower your expectations about your productivity or like self-care or just like all the things that you would have used to fill your cup before you were a parent um Uh that cup needs to be a little bit smaller now (laughs) because so much of your energy is going towards you know, your children. So for me, making my cup smaller and finding joy and fulfillment and um, nourishment in smaller things and smaller portions um, and smaller moments like to myself um, has been crucial because it's nonstop for me. You know, I have two kids. I'm always with one of them or like going to work or running home from work or, you know, it's to the point where like taking a shower by myself, it feels like a luxury, you know, <laughs> and I'll take that, you know, if, yeah, like, yeah, I, um, yeah. So I guess to put it in a positive way, finding nourishment and joy in every little possible thing that you can because you're going to need it (laughs) yes definitely that's great advice thank you all right well thanks for coming on this was fun thanks tori it's fun (laughs) i could keep talking now that i'm now that i'm going i could i know we're like in the groove i'm like (laughs) all right that's fine all righty well i will talk to you sometime soon okay Bye. Eugenia's six-year-old daughter, Fiona, decided to join us at the end. So I'm including a little bit of that conversation, but they were not using a microphone at this time. I did my best with the editing. However, you may need to turn up the volume to hear Fiona's take on childbirth and how she felt when her younger brother was born. This is great. So turn it up and take a listen. <laughs> you can tell me anything. It doesn't have to be appropriate. Yeah, we can talk about jobs.
of blood and boobs. How did you feel? <laughs> you feel when your baby brother was born? Um, I felt freaked out and happy. <laughs> Sad and happy? Is that what you said? Freaked out and happy. Oh, freaked out and happy. Yeah. Were you happy that you went and saw him get born? No, I was just happy that I'm getting a little brother. Yeah. Yeah. But I was freaked out because of your life. Why do babies have to get born out of the time? Why don't they just have to um six year old? Why don't they just have to magically come out and then how do they magically they do magically come out of jives? No, they like just poof. Yeah, they go poof out of jives. No, they like poof out of your belly and then your belly is just fine and then you can just That would be kind of cool, though. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Coffee with Parents. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, I'd love to hear from you. I love to hear from all types of parenting experiences, including experiences of loss such as miscarriage or abortion, step-parents, surrogate carriers, adoptive parents, foster parents, people who parented their siblings, and more. All parent and family types are welcome, encouraged, and accepted and embraced on this podcast. Please email us at cwppodcast at gmail.com if you have something to share. Okay, human beings, that concludes episode five of season one of Coffee with Parents. Thanks for listening and love. Thanks for all your support. And a special thanks to Eugenia for helping me brew up this episode. Stay caffeinated.